Hello and welcome to Talking Property, our CBRE podcast series where our team of experts, our clients and our industry specialists share insights into the way we live, work and invest through the lens of commercial real estate. My name is Kate Heaney. I am CBRE's Pacific Head of Client Care and I'm your host for this latest Talking Property episode. Today, I'll be talking to Henry Chin who leads CBRE's Asia-Pacific research team, as well as CBRE's investor, Thought Leadership Globally. Henry has over 20 years of research experience and is both visiting professor at Oxford Brookes University in the UK and an assistant professor at the National Taipei University in Japan. He is a sought-after industry speaker, and his views on the market and what to expect are always in demand, which is why I'm really pleased to have him join me on this latest business trip to Australia. So welcome to Talking Property, Dr. Henry Chin. Thank you, Kate, for having me here to share with you my thoughts with you guys. So I've had the pleasure of just the first of these weeks walking at least 15,000 steps a day with Henry Chin around the markets of Sydney. And during that time, I've been doing a little bit of crowdsourcing ahead of the podcast, just chatting with our clients, listening to the most pressing questions that they have particularly in this really challenging market. So, Henry, I'm going to do the impossible task of whittling that down to, I don't know, five, six questions. Are you ready? Yes, I am ready. So, let's start with your trip and your view of the Australian market. You obviously had a view before you arrived on our shores. Can you give me a little quick snapshot? Has your view changed since you've walked the streets of Sydney? Actually, my view has changed, turning into a lot more positive. Number one, people are coming back to the offices and the city is very, very buzzing. And number two, the real estate professionals, they do have a very realistic views about how Sydney is going to see in the global real estate market. Number three, we do have a deep pool of equities ready sitting on the sideline to invest. So overall, I come into Australia with a little bit anxious in terms of how the pricing is going to go. But actually, when I come here, I feel a lot more comfortable because it's not as negative as I was thought before I came here. Does that mean eventually when you return, you might be talking to some of those investors and talking about investing back in this market? Definitely, Kate. I can quite honestly tell you because before I came here, everyone was telling me, Actually, I loved investing in Australia. And the biggest hurdle for them is they can't justify their underwritings in terms of pricing. And But after I am going back to Asia, I will be able to talk into the client. The pricing gap is not as big as they thought. Actually, we're probably going to see some interesting deals to close in the second half of this year. The interesting thing, as you say as well, Henry, that your views on the market and what I love hearing the way in which you talk about any of the, certainly the Asia-Pacific markets, but you have both a conformist and a contrarian view. And actually what I've seen for the first time as well, you have a bit of a vintage view. Mm -hmm. So can we break down a little bit around sort of the definition and your positioning as far as maybe conformist first, and then we'll move on to the contrarian to get a bit deeper. I think in terms of the confirmist investment strategies, it's definitely suitable for most of those core investors. And what I like about the confirmist strategies is number one, it's all about alternatives. 
I think alternative investment is definitely going to go through the strong structural changes to underpin the demand. For the confirmed alternatives, the number one I really like, I really like life sciences market. I think life sciences markets, particularly in Melbourne and Sydney, is going to be outperformed for rest of the region. Second one, the confirmed one, is all about logistic. I think logistic fundamental in Australia is just so strong. The vacancy rate is well below 1%. For occupiers, they unfortunately, they just need to pay for higher rent to secure the spaces. For the investor's point of view, probably it's a good time to thinking about greenfield development because we do not have enough supply into the market. The leasing demand is simply very, very strong. The rental forecast is equally very strong. As a result, Australian cities on the regional or global context outperform. The third one is all about living sectors. Built to rent and built to sell is going to be outperformed as well. And the given that Australia is going to be probably the number one G7 economies in terms of the demographic changes. You got so much immigrants coming to Australia. As a result, it's going to be underpin the living sectors. And I give you an anecdote, and then all my friends, and then they want to move in out of their home country, Kate, the number one market they want to come is to go to Singapore, but Singapore is getting too expensive. Therefore, they say, okay, I'm coming down to Australia, Sydney and Melbourne seems to be their top choices. So watching out, I think the influx of immigrants is definitely coming to Australia, which is going to underpin the living sector. But going back to also that comment about the you know the living and and the influx, we were walking the street the other day, and you were telling me figures about Singapore that actually really drives. I can now see that demand into Australia. Talk me through that. I can tell you that I think uh, Singapore is in the interesting dynamics because you are if you're talking to any other people who is renting the properties, the typical leases is around two years. And over the past 12 months, I think if you want to renew your leases, normally the rate is going to increase by double. Okay, so if you pay $100 a month, you have to pay $200 now. It's largely because that's a huge of foreign workers are looking for a place to rent. I think two weeks ago, they just add additional buyer system duty to 60%, 60%, Kate. If wow. I spend a million to buy properties, if I'm not a Singaporean citizen, I need to pay $1.6 million. Uh, you love to call about crazy rich Asians. We are to spend the money to buy property, but we are not that crazy. As a result, I think a lot of the capital will divert from Singapore into Australia, Sydney and Melbourne, particularly even Brisbane. Yeah, brilliant. And this obviously then drives, look, I everyone knows I've been a little bit of a, a passionate BTR multifamily junkie. Uh, this obviously is really playing into the fundamentals of the potential strength of the BTR market here. Definitely. I want to highlight here, BTR market is in the infancy stage in Australia, but I do see the huge potential going forward. But one thing we need to make sure we do it right is when did a global lift workshop studies the consumers, particularly in Australia, sending out a very, very strong signal is about all about placemaking. So if you have a good quality of a BTR project, I think placemaking is going to be important. Number two, 
property management is going to be important. People want the safety, people want the better services in order to demand for the higher rent. I think this is something we need to be mindful. But to be honest with you, I am quite positive, very positive for the BTR initiative in Australia. So here we've concentrated a little bit in our conversation really on the beds and shed story. Before we head into your, what I do love, the contrarian views, I don't want to leave this conformist view for a moment because that means, okay, we're going to be amping up on the build-to-rent positioning, but are you saying that what's the position on sheds? Are we going to sell? Well, I have to say to you, if you are and if you have been in the market probably two, three years ago, even four or five years ago, you were in the market owning the logistic facilities, probably it's a time to sell because you are entering the market a few years ago. You enjoy the strong cap rate compression. You also enjoy the, the crazy rental growth for the last 24 months. Your total return is going to be fantastic. Why don't you just realize your returns in that basis? But if you really still enjoying logistics, probably time to look out for the greenfield development. You can generate the next generation of facilities and to redeploy your capital again. I think in one way, you realize the return, and the other way, you put the money into the logistics, do the development. I think that's going to be a win-win situation for small investors. Yeah, brilliant. Let's talk into some retail before the more extreme. I remember this time last year, you were talking incredibly positively around retail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not seen a change in your views in this trip, but I did hear some better figures to really justify it. We we're obviously coming out of COVID before. Talk me through your retail lens. I have to say revenge consumption continues. I think last year when I was here a year ago, we do not have a return of the for overseas students. We do not have the return for the international tourists. And now things are changing. I think the student arrivals is around 75% of the pre-COVID level, which is fantastic. We do have a reopening of the Chinese border. So you are going to see more and more Asian tourists, the Chinese particularly, coming to this part of the world. So therefore, revenge consumption, we were lagging compared to Europe and US, but it's coming through. And then when we were talking to the retailers across Asia Pacific, particularly with Australian retailers, surprise, surprise, Kate, 84% of them, they're telling us, I want to expand further in 2023. And the number one choice is, is not in the suburban neighborhood shopping malls. The number one choice is, Kate, is all about high street, prime high streets in the city center locations. What it means, it means they are betting on return to the office is so real in Australia. Tourists are coming back, students are coming back. They can get the best quality of the premises and the lower prices for the future expansion. So a flight to quality happened there. And as a small investors, pretty much we should start looking at the retail in a more serious matter. I see internationally the diversification, say, say the retail, you know, shopping mall, et cetera, and the, and the linkage far more better with transport, living and work as such. We don't seem to have really embraced that as much as we could. Talk what we should maybe really think about here at a local level on that combination. Nowadays, the boundary between live, work and shop is getting more and more blurred. And then that's why I keep telling people it's a good time 
you're thinking about all about placemaking for your build environment a lot more sustainable and then make sure everything is in a vertical or the, in a nicer presence on that part. I think Hong Kong, Singapore, Kate, in my mind, did a fantastic good job. We do have a fantastic world-class infrastructure. On the top of our infrastructure, we do have a business district. We do have a retail making. We also all have our complex above those spaces. I think given the demographic changes, what we are seeing in Australia with the inflow of Asian demographic, I think there's a further room for us to grow. So therefore, I was talking to so many developers. I think that they do recognize the placemaking is one way to go forward. And then they do realize, and then Australia got a huge upside potential. You got plenty of land. <laughs> you do have people coming here, and then you do have a nice living environment. Your infrastructure in investment is getting a lot better compared to five, 10, 15 years ago. So therefore, I think more and more investors and developers are looking at that spaces very, very closely, try to build a new town, try to build a new environment to attract people to live there. So, Henry, you're saying that uh, you're walking these streets and you're seeing a lot more people back in the office. And you've told me absolutely that it's hard to get a seat in Hong Kong these days in the office with so many return. But is office, though, <laughs> from an investment point of view, on the nose? Well, investment in the offices, funny enough, when I was talking to American investors, it's so bloody hard to ask them to invest in Asia-Pacific offices because they were very bearish for the U.S. office market. However, I got a very, very different, strong, contrarian view. Number one, we are back to the offices. And then North Asia, without a doubt, we are leading return to the offices. And then, but within Australia, before COVID, Kate, you guys never been to the office five days a week. And uh, right, your flexible working is here to stay. I think that the hybrid working is likely to be here to continue. And then the flexible working will be a new normal for all of us. But one thing we did look at the historical performance. It's fascinating to look at the total returns in the office spaces on a global scale by adding Sydney and Melbourne office spaces and into your global portfolios it will enhance, it has enhanced your returns and reduce the risk. That's from the past 15 years of performance. Uh, going forward, based on our forecast, Australia offices continue to offer the better return and to reduce the risk. But I also want to highlight one particular point. If you want to invest into the offices, Kate, it's all about the cycle. If you're coming to the market in the right timing, you make a ton of money, I think we are in an interesting time. I am advising investors to look at the Sydney office buildings, Sydney office market, because we are expecting to see the stronger bounce back in 2024. As a result, this year is a good time to enter the market. In addition, I also need to recognize the fact not every single office work hate. And there's some, you know, talking about hub and spoke. I see decentralized offices will having some challenges because when you are in a decentralized offices, we need to compete with my bedroom. <laughs> I can work in my bedroom. But the best quality buildings in the centralized locations is going to be outperformed. And then those outperformed is going to be super, super strong. And that's why I think 2023 is a good time. Centralized offices, good quality, Sydney, 
is my number one pick. We obviously talk about you know quality office a lot and a fantastic part of the market to invest in, but should we be concerned about the B class and B grade? Should we be the sustainability credentials that we've got to meet with this sort of thing? Or what are your thoughts there? This is a brilliant question, Kate. I have to say grade B is definitely going through some tough challenges. I think given the current construction cost, if you want to do the upgrading, probably as an investor's number doesn't really work. If you're talking to the occupiers, they do not want to occupy the grade B stock. And as a result, I think grade B is going to go through the tough challenges going forward. I think once the construction cost is back to normal, I do feel like there's a good time to enter in the market, but not now. I think now we should really focusing on the grade A spaces. But in our case, pricing is another topical issue when it comes to the offices. A lot of people talking about, I want 25% discount on those great A stock. My dear, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> probably are going to see some price dislocation by 5 to 10% of those great A, the basic stock. I think at that time, it could appear to be 5% discount, 10% discount for those good quality assets. Probably investors should act fast because those type of assets will recover very, very fast. Well, in talking about those markets and the everywhere we go, there's this constant conversation actually about the difference in the markets and particularly you and I've heard the difference between the US and Australia. And we've seen anything from a couple of failing banks in the US, we've seen office more on the nose in the US and no one returning, et cetera. How do we get out of this comparison when they seem so incredibly different? Funny enough, Kate, we are also trying to do a lot of comparison study between Asia-Pacific, Australia offices against American offices. I think there's a fundamental differences. I think American offices, they are facing two different challenges. Number one, we are having the economy head wings. So therefore, not any occupiers, they are going through the expansionary mode. So demand naturally is on the softening side. That's number one for the American market. Number two is the structural changes. I think when we did this global lift workshop studies, all the consumers are telling us they do not really want to spend 90 minutes commuting time one way into the offices. So that is something the structural changes that people will need to recognize and figure it out. But for me, I was in the US last year for four weeks. And the biggest challenge for me is their office environment is probably a little bit dated, Kate. And it's a 60s and 70s product. But when you walk into our Australia offices building, it's a modern style, it's a collaborative, it's clean, bright. So therefore, the American needs to go through a lot of structural changes to figure it out and what the future of the office asset will going to look like. They're going to go through some pain for sure. The final point I want to highlight here is we are looking at the space per person in the office environment. In the U.S., it's around 16 square meters per person in the office. Oof. It's luxury, right? <laughs> I wish I, I have that spaces. Australia, you guys are very nice. You got a 12 square meters per person, which is fantastic. Where I am in Hong Kong, only seven square meters. In Japan, Tokyo, it's a five to six square meters. We are not going to thinking about American to reduce like a Hong Kong, Tokyo standard. Just thinking about from the American standard 16 square meters to go to the Australian standard 12 square meters. And that gives you the ideas about the structural changes on that part as well. So I have to say we cannot compare to American offices spaces compared to our region. 
and it gives them the fact that we are back to work and that we are highly infrastructure is a first class here as well. As a result, I think office is here to stay. Good quality office will outperform. People are back. That's the fact. Does that mean, though, if they the Americans see our office or can't see or can't draw the comparison, does that mean we're not going to see their money investing here? Then who is going to then invest? Okay, I think for the American investors, definitely office is in the penalty box. They really hesitated to invest into the office assets. Funny enough, I'll give you another anecdote. And then Korean office market is the strongest performance market on a global scale. Their current vacancy rate, Kate, is sitting around 2%. Ooh. They're still demanding for double-digit rental growth. Their assets come into the market, and but the American investors say, I don't want to touch it. That should just tell you the sentiment for the office markets and for the Americans. But don't worry, we are in a global capital market situation. Americans don't want the Asian investors, Chinese, Korean, Singaporeans, Hong Kong investors, Japanese. We all realize, you know, office here to stay. Office in Asia Pacific is very, very different. So as a result, Kate, you're going to see more and more Asian investors are coming here to buy office assets when the price is right. Are there any other kind of hallmark, either asset class or observations you've made, and that could go anywhere from healthcare to education, et cetera? What do we need to look out for here? Or should there be a bit of reweighting of some of these portfolios to areas that you think are really going to drive this economy? I think, Kate, it's fascinating. Well, I was talking to the capital allocators globally and then I think Asia Pacific, we do have a, a little bit of a problem is because of all about the relative pricing. And i give you the anecdote. I think I was, before I came to Australia, I put some of my money into HSBC and uh, for six months time deposit, they were offering me 4.9% of mm. the, the interest rate, which is fantastic. Mm. And then I think all the capital allocators seem to have the set, certain issues. They, they love real estate. They think real estate is definitely inflation hedge, definitely diversifier. But return as of now doesn't really seem to make sense in a global scales and also compared to the other asset classes. But we are not expecting to see any sort of distress in our region. But uh, we do need to be realistic when it comes to repricing. So we are going to see a little bit of repricing pretty much across our region, but repricing is not going to be as aggressive as what we are seeing in the West. But nevertheless, I think a little bit of repricing is healthy. It's going to reset the price. I think the investors are coming to our region because fundamentally, Asia Pacific, Australia, we are not expecting to see any recessions. And then the growth might be slow, but we all bounce back. And uh, but negative GDP growth, as of now, is not a question for us. So that reinforces even some of those questions I've heard about drawing a comparison to GFC. You're saying that we're not in nothing in that space. Yeah, we are nothing in that spaces. We we are going to see some slowing down reset prices, but now now that GFC, I am a lot more positive on that part. Brilliant, Henry. Henry, you've got a trip now to Melbourne, uh, and then you're going to Chile, Canberra to speak to all our industry leaders. Any final words from you before we uh, close out on something for us all to leave before your next aeroplane ride? Actually, to my surprises, I really enjoy my time in Sydney talking to so many people in the industry. 
I think the fundamentals, they're relatively strong. And the only one thing we just need to be mindful is about the valuation-related issues. I think before I came here, I was very negative about the capital I need to blow out the same scale as the U.S., but I don't think the scale will, will be blown out, but not as severe as what we are seeing in the U.S. and the U.K. And uh, Kate, you guys are telling me Sydney was so cold, you need to bring the coat. Actually, the weather has been so nice to me. It's not cold at all. It's so nice. And the air is so clean and the food is so nice. Actually, I enjoy myself so much this time in Sydney. Ah, brilliant. Thanks so much, Henry. I absolutely love having you here. It's uh, You've got to come more often than uh, annually, I think. And uh, the market's so hungry uh, for knowledge right now. And I've watched everyone just eat up everything that you've spoken about, even those contrarian views. It's going to be a really interesting second half and a lot for us all to consider, both local and global perspective. So thank you to everyone for tuning in for our latest episode of Talking Property with CBRE with the delightful Dr. Henry Chin. If you'd like the show and you want to check out more, visit cbre.com.au backslash talking property or subscribe through Spotify and Apple Podcasts. But until next time, it's goodbye from me.